tell me what you're paying attention to and I will tell you who you are. That's a quote from this episode's guest, Alison Hill. Alison started her career as a professional psychologist or head mechanic, as she likes to call it, where she spent many years tweaking the minds of top performers as an in-demand coach with some of the world's largest companies, including BHB, McDonald's, the names go on. I actually met Alison for the first time a number of years ago, very briefly, and she stood out to me as a woman of impeccable energy. I can't think of a better description than that. She just has this sense about her as a woman who very much owns her own space. So when I got off the plane about six months ago in Melbourne and I saw this giant light box with her literally larger than life, about twice as large as life actually, having launched her own book, Stand Out, A Real World Guide to Get Clear, Find Purpose and Become the Boss of Busy, I knew we had to get her on the show. So as you know, in this podcast, we take a behind the scenes look into influence and I wanted to talk to Alison about how we influence ourselves. I'm a big believer that your ability to influence is 100% correlated to what or who you let in, i.e. what you allow to influence you, where you put your attention or time, the stories you tell yourself, the distractions you allow to take over. So we talk about getting forensic about that, about how you manage, create and defend your own boundaries. Secondly, we talk about freaking out, checking out and burning out all words, which unfortunately we're generally all too familiar with either in ourselves or in the people we love. How do you notice? How do you turn that ship around? How do you get back on track so you can live a standout life? Thirdly, we talk about choosing to stand out and how it will always ultimately cost you your old identity and how you get around that, how you get around the resistance associated with that Alison has her own amazing journey standing out or choosing to stand out as a speaker, as an author and step out from behind the brand. And it all started with a post-it note that said, do the work, be seen, that she stuck to her desk. And if nothing else, I hope that as a result of listening to this episode, you leave with some tools to do the same, that you're as inspired by her journey and her knowledge as I was. And for anyone that wants to explore the concept further, which I'm sure you will, Stand Out is also available in all good bookstores. Alison Hill, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks, Julie. Great to be chatting with you. You too, you too. I was just saying when we were off air, we've met a couple of times. And then I was walking through, I don't know what airport it was, Melbourne Airport, Sydney Airport, and I suddenly looked up and you were there, you know, larger than life on this big white box with your, oh with your new book <laughs> appropriately titled Stand Out. And I was like, look at her. She oh acts my God. fabulous. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those big call to actions when you write a book and it's called Stand Out. All of a sudden you have to walk your talk. <laughs> you can't really hide at that point, can you? No, not at all. You picked a good title to give yourself a a call to action. Yeah, no, it it was, don't make no mistake at all, it was written as much for me as it was for anyone else. (laughs) Now, in the time that we've got together, I I wanted to dig into influence from a different kind of angle. Usually... Um, I dig into influence in terms of external influence. So how you negotiate, how you have big conversations, how you use content, how, basically how you influence out there in the world. But with you, I wanted to talk about something different. I wanted to talk about how we influence ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, 
in my experience over the years, one of the truisms that I've noticed is that we are, we can't be this big person out in the world unless we figure out how to be of influence to ourselves, unless we're a good influence on ourselves. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I really want to, I want to talk more about that. And I want to talk about how we become better influencers so we can go out there and we can be big and large and, and loud in the world. But first of all, I'm going to kick off with a question that I always ask, which is, do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? I definitely consider myself as being an introvert. I love nothing more than just quiet. Um, like my ideal day is having no one around and just being home on my own. So I'm, I'm definitely an introvert. Um, and even, even when I go to conferences or I talk on with big, big groups, high energy, the thing that I get energized by is actually the intimate personal conversations. And I think that's a bit of a mark of an introvert as well. I don't have time usually for a whole lot of just little chit chat. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely an introvert. I'm just smiling to myself at the irony of you saying that while you hide in a wardrobe. I know. <laughs> Which has amazing <laughs> acoustics, <laughs> just by the way. And um, it's also why I love podcasts because it's so such an intimate conversation that you then get to share with um, a big audience, but they feel like in some ways they get to come into the wardrobe with me. So, <laughs> so. I love it. I was having this conversation with Dan Gregory actually in another in another episode and we were talking about long form versus short form and how there's been this massive shift towards short form, you know, tweets and Instagram and for for me and, and for him also we're more of a fan of the long form. You know, the, yeah. those conversations where you get to really get into it, um, when you can actually get to the meaty stuff as opposed to kind of the small pithy comments. Yeah, and that you get to the meaty stuff quickly. You don't have to kind of do the the small stuff that yeah. you can yeah, ask How's a the great question and the stories unpack. So yeah, that's definitely me. So you, in your book, you, which I loved, you talk about living a standout life and you talk about freak out, check out, burnout being three, three parts of the quadrant that a lot of us spend our time kind of oscillating between. And then you talk about standout as being the fourth part of that quadrant. Now, we all know a little bit about what freak out, check out and burnout looks like. I think we'd all have our experience big and you know small and large with that. Walk me through what you consider to be a day in a standout life, though. Yeah, really. It's a really good question. It's one that I even toyed with um, because I think a lot of the times when we think about, you know, a, living a standout life, then um, it is a we kind of conjure up um, images of it's almost um, fame or influence um, that that others are looking up to us, that kind of external validation. But for me, and certainly in unpacking the book, that's not the intent behind Standout. Standout is really just about it's about the alignment of what I see as two drivers of change and they are um, that we have a sense of purpose, that we know why we're doing what we're doing. And and I even unpack, because often when you hear that word purpose, and I'm not the first one to talk about it, um, you know, we've even, you know, Simon Sinek's very, very famous for being the why guy. So start with why, um, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? But for me, I think Purpose can come into the small everyday things. It can come into the conversation that I'm having with my colleague in the next hour. Why am I having that conversation? It can come into um, 
the you know the podcast that I'm I'm having a conversation or, or stepping into it might be um, the time that we're spending with our kids. Why am I doing that? What's the purpose of that? What's the intent behind that? So when we get clear on what that why is, that we know why, um, and that we feel like we're making progress. So progress is the second driver of change. And it, and for me, standout is, is the combination of two, uh, those two, that we know why we're doing what we're doing and we feel like we're making progress, that, that those two are absolutely in alignment. So it's coming back to the two key questions about why this and what's next. And when we've got an answer for those, then that's what it is to live a standout life. So it's not about, um, you know, fame or notoriety or having a job that other people would go, wow, that's incredible. You can live a standout life doing the stuff that lights you up um, and that you feel like you're that you're moving forward. I want, I want to laser in a little bit on, on that piece because for me, and I know in your book, you also talk about it, the key there is, is boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, if we know, if we figure out why we're doing something, then that sometimes we're going to figure out that we shouldn't be doing them. Yes. And, you know, my experiences have led me to believe that if you're, you know, who you allow to influence you, where you put your attention and time, what's the stories you tell yourself, the stories you listen to, basically what distractions you allow to take over, they impact the amount of energy that you have to show up and stand out in other areas. I mean, you can't live this big life if you allow yourself to be constantly derailed mentally, emotionally, or physically. Mm-hmm. And I know that you, you went through a long process with that yourself. So how, as part of that process that you went through, how did you decide what gets in? And then how did you build boundaries around the rest? Oh, such a good question. And boundaries are um, they're, they're a real key and they can be a word that gets bandied around a little bit. Um, so getting clear on, on what that, what does that even mean? Um, yeah, what, do, so, what does that mean? Yeah, so for me, and I borrow this from uh, Brene Brown's work and she sort of defines boundaries as really getting clear on what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and it's as simple and as hard as that. Um, and I think when we're setting boundaries, it's about, well, okay, what's okay? And then what's not okay? What's our, what's our, um, flex? What are we going to be okay with in this situation? And then what's the absolute line in the sand? Um, when you start to unpack where my time's going, where my energy's going, where's my frustration coming from, um, Often what's really interesting and I think what I found, I definitely know what I found for myself was I was doing a lot of things because I thought that's what I should do. Um, That's what I thought people expected. That's what I thought was expected um, of my role Um, and that's both role as a mum as well as a business owner and leading leading a team uh, of, you know, well, I should be available 24-7 for my team. Um, You know, I should... The be able to keep an immaculately clean house, <laughs> um, all of those kind of shoulds that we have, and and often their their expectations. Some of them come from society, some of them come from our upbringing, our family, some of them just come from ourselves. We just put those kind of expectations on ourselves. Um, 
And for me, I'd gotten to a point of complete overwhelm where I was so, um, and I think I described this right at the start of this book, that I'd gotten to a point where on the outside life looked fantastic and it was fantastic. Um, Two great kids, booming business, um, beautiful, loving, uh, you know, relationship with my husband everything was great nothing had happened I wasn't going through um you know I hadn't had any kind of traumatic life event everything on the outside was was fine it was great um and yet internally I just had this constant angst um this sense of there was a million things to do and no time to do it that I was the only person that was able to do it um and that if I I I had this imagery that if I dropped one ball, the whole world was going to come crashing down. So I couldn't even give myself permission to drop anything ever. Um, and that was that was a really hard place to be in. But also I really, in some ways, I stayed there because um, I couldn't drop anything. I wasn't, you know, I didn't give myself permission to to you know, pause or stop. Um, and it did accumulate to a particular sort of Friday afternoon where I just said to my husband, I remember sort of breaking down in tears and saying to him, I feel like I just want to opt out of life just for a little while. Like I don't want to have to make any decisions. I don't want to have to make anyone's lunches. I don't want to have to decide what, <laughs> you know, like, you know, just all of it became too consuming and I just wanted to opt out of it. Um, not forever, but you know, just for, I just wanted to hit pause. Um, and I fully in the wardrobe. Yeah, hide in the water. <laughs> and I fully expected him to, you know, put his arm around my shoulder going, come on, it won't be too bad. Let's go and have a beer. It's Friday afternoon. We'll be fine. Um, which he didn't do. He actually turned around and said, well, why don't you? Why don't you just have the day off and and do whatever you want to do? And, of course, I just went into, well, I can't do that. I've got what a million a things to do. Like, you know, don't you know who I am? I'm a <laughs> Superwoman and people just don't do that. Um, I've got to, you know, sweep the floors and, and look after the kids and what kind of mum just has a day off for no particular reason. Um, it makes sense if you've had something happen, but I haven't, you know. Um, and he, um, this is where his stubbornness becomes really useful because he insisted and said, no, no, no. And uh, he sort of had these magic words where he said, we'll be okay. Um, and I went, oh, okay, this this is actually not about me needing to be seen as the person who has it all together. They they totally will be okay. Of course, I I trust them to be okay. Um, but to his credit, he did say to me, "Look, um, I know what you're like. So um, put your swimmers, pack all your stuff in the ba- in the car tonight. Um, set the alarm, and literally just put your clothes on, put the key in the car, and go. Otherwise, if you think about this, you won't ever go." or you'll get caught up doing stuff for the kids and it'll be lunchtime before you hit the road. Um, so I followed his words and I, I did that. And uh, well, I live on the Gold Coast, so decided I would go and have a day down in, in Byron. And I remember even being about 20 k's along the road and just realising the noise in my head. So my, my the words in my head were, look, you can't be doing this. What are you doing? Like this is valuable family time. How dare you be selfish enough to have a day to yourself? Um, this was the kind of words that were going around in my head and I caught myself, you know, thinking these things and saying that and sort of pulled myself up. I went, Alison, your foot's actually on the pedal. Like <laughs> to say whether this is a good decision or not is is 
is ridiculous. Like you're already going. Um, and if you go down there hating yourself for doing it, you're not going to get the most out of the time and, and just hitting reset. Um, so I kind of pull myself up, um, you know, psychologically and went, just, just go. And then what I did though, my head went into, um, justification mode to, to cover the guilt. So I went into, okay, well, if I'm going to go down there, I better make it the best possible day off ever. <laughs> um, make the most of it so I can come back and prove how good I was at, at to show that I can off. do a good job of <laughs> taking a day off. Yeah, that it was worthwhile having that time away from the family. And if I'm going to um, remove myself from my kid's life for 24 hours, then um, there needs to be some good KPIs in place. I love that. Oh, my gosh. It's exhausting. High high achievement even in low relaxation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I fully set myself up to go, right, I need to have an epiphany. Life needs to be fundamentally different. Um, I'm going to, you know, be beautiful organic food and I'll get back in the car and um, everything will be fine and life will be back to normal in 24 hours. And then again, I noticed what I was doing in my head and just took a deep breath and just said, stop. Um, it's just got to be okay to let it let it all go. Um, and that, that time away doesn't have to come with KPIs. It doesn't have to come with any other, other expectations other than just be, just be. I don't have to do anything. I uh, don't have to prove anything. No one's asking anything of me. It was only my expectations that I put on myself. Um, so that that was a big realisation for me personally, but I think it was also because alongside my own experience, I was having conversations with people in organisations who were going through similar things, um, as well as my friends and, and family members. And I guess for me, it just was the start of that conversation that there are plenty of people, um, and we were saying this off air before, like, like ourselves who are, and I'm sure your listeners who want to live a big, bold life, who want to have an influence on the world around us, who want to, um, you know, do grand, amazing things. Um, and yet often when we do come to that realization that it has an impact on our energy and on our time and on our, um, health and well, personal wellbeing, that the only other antidote to that is to do less, to do nothing. And I guess I started to go, well, is there a way that you can have a bit of both, (laughs) um, where we can still live these big, bold lives where we, um, are influencing people, but it's coming from a place of rest. It's coming from a place of grounded awareness of ourselves. Um, and it's coming from a place of when we look after ourselves, then we can have the biggest influence on the people around us. I want to talk about letting yourself drop the ball and really how we get out of that mindset you talk about in your book of either I do it all or I do nothing. How do we get out of that A or B mindset and actually find the C that is going to be the most helpful and healthful thing that we can do? I think we need to have someone else that we trust as a sounding board. Um, So to even take that question to someone else, Uh, because then that starts to build the muscle of going, oh, actually, maybe there's some other options. Um, And I think I even talk about it in the book, like the small example in a work setting is um, if you get invited to meetings and meetings have almost become 
the bane of our existence in the world of work, right? We can spend our whole entire life oh, time yeah. and have no time to actually do the work that we want to do. Um, but the decision often can look like if you've been invited to a meeting that, well, either I go or I don't go. And yet, when you start to unpack it and explore it, there are probably a bunch of other options. Um, so, for example, you could go to the meeting just for a short period of time. So, if it's an hour meeting, find out where they're going to talk about the bits that you need to be involved in and just pop in for that 10 minutes. Um, you could have a talk to the person who's conveying the meeting and give them your notes or the things that they want to talk about or some questions that you want answers to and they could take that so you're still getting the data but you don't actually need to physically be there in the meeting um you could skype in or webex in so again you physically don't need to organize to be there but you're still involved in the conversations um you could talk to the main person on the phone get all the answers that you need and realize that you don't need to be at the meeting um, at all. You could send someone as your representative. Um, and there's probably a bunch of other kind of examples that you could, you could do. So, and I think what that, what helps with that decision is getting clear on, um, what matters here, what's important here, why, um, you know, what's the, what's the best impact that I can have, um, right here and right now that helps you to get clarity on maybe there's a few other options. So I think for myself, um, part of getting clear on rather than getting out of that A and B, I think having someone else to kind of bounce that off is really, really useful because I think that it's often, and I'm constantly surprised by, you know, the other ideas that people come up with where they go, well, actually you could do it like this. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'd never thought of that. Um, so having those trusted people, you can bounce it off is really, really key. But I think also going, asking that question, what's the best input that I could have? Um, how am I best utilized in this situation? I think also asking somebody else almost gives you permission in a way. If you ask somebody else and they go, you could do it like that. And you, you kind of like, really, I could, like, I could yes. do, I could just do, I could come in for just 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I'll do that then. And yeah. just hearing somebody else go, you know, that would be okay. Like you're allowed to yeah. do that. That is an yeah. option that is available to you. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there's more and more organisations having walk and talk meetings or stand up meetings or, um, and I think again, when we, we bring that, then other people go, oh, I'd never thought of that. Um, so, in, and to this in some ways kind of ties into that sense of purpose. So, the kinds of things I hear in organisations, but also individuals, um, when they don't have a clear sense of purpose, when you ask them, why do we have a meeting on a nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning, um, the things that people say are things like, well, just because. Um, that's the way it's always been done around here. It's just the way it is. And... Um, I think when you start to unpack it, you find out that, you know, five years ago it suited, you know, Sally who used to work there to have it at nine o'clock on Tuesday morning, but Sally's no longer there and we've just gotten into the pattern of this is the habit. Um, so which is exciting because then it opens up the possibility of going, well, maybe we don't have to do it. What if we didn't have meetings on a Tuesday morning, where else could we have it? What best fits the people who are involved? Um, what if we didn't have the meeting in this room? Where else could we have the meeting? Um, 
who needs to be involved? What if we actually ban meetings altogether? How else would we share that information? Um, so that's, I think, where the creativity starts to to align, but it starts with us getting clearer on, well, why are we even doing this in the first place? If it's just purely just for a logistical reason, people need to know who's doing what this week, yeah, we could send that out in a dot form email and people get a free hour on a Tuesday morning. So. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an interesting experiment to run if you ban? I mean, I don't know how it would go. Mm -hmm. I've had a team of my own and I know that meetings can sometimes be a really important way to just have everybody ground down together for the week. But if you just ran the experiment, what if we didn't need meetings? I think that would be, I would be fascinated to know the result of that. Um, You talk, you talk in the book a lot about Mm self-orientation, which I understand to be and, and, you know, I checked in with you on this about coming back to yourself as a source of influence, checking in on yourself constantly. Um, and you say, get forensic about where your attention is drawn towards and where it's drawn away. And I love the term get forensic. I had um, just recently, a friend of mine said something to me about watching my leaks. So you know, you've got to watch your leaks, which is where are you leaking energy? And I sat down and I wrote a list of all the places where I felt like I was leaking energy that I didn't need to be all the places where I wasn't being a good influence on myself at that point. Is that the right way to do it? Just sit down. Do you write a list of all the areas if you're getting forensic about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to counteract whether there's a right or wrong way. That's <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just my overachiever kicking in now. Did I do that right? going to work. <laughs> and that, that's my own tendency as well. We crave certainty that if I give this a go. So part of that forensic um, and for all of it, for me, was coming back to, I guess, as a psychologist, my science roots, which is just that we have a theory or a hypothesis and let's just test it out. Let's just see what conditions it works under and which ones it really doesn't work under. And it's almost like that's um, what I call an experimentation mindset. So let's just do an experiment and see. So I think for any of these strategies, I would say to people, you know your world, you know your circumstances better than anyone else. Um, there's definitely a few strategies, tips, tools that um, that I've used, but also that other people use um, and see them like an experiment. Say, okay, that sounds really good. I'll give it a go for a week or two and then adapt it and change it as you need to. Um, I really love that term of leaking energy. I had never heard that before. Mm, And it's amazing when you, I'll give you, I'll give you one that was on the list because it fits with what you just said. I'm, I noticed that at the moment, because I've got a a young child at the moment, I am no good after 8 p.m. I am just rubbish. Yet that is the time when I try and get stuff done. And so I made an eight until eight rule, which is from 8 p.m. in the evening until 8 a.m. in the morning, phones down, technology down. And and that just meant that I got to do the important things in the morning. So I would get up, set my intentions, check in on my family, feed myself, feed my family, make sure everybody's okay. And then the world can come in. The world can come in after that point. Mm. However... Years ago, you know, a couple of years ago when I had a team here in Sydney and I had a team, you know, multiple teams in America, I couldn't have made that rule. You know, that was five until eight was the time when I got to talk to people. So they change, like you were saying, there's no right or wrong answer. It depends on the chapter of life that you're in at that time. 
Yeah, and I think that's part of and what we were saying before around the self-orientation is checking in with yourself right here but knowing that your context changes. So you're right. So what might have worked, what, what, what might work today might not have worked four or five years ago and it may not work even in a week's time or a month's time or six months' time. Um, and so that's that. That's a lot of, of um, you know, that self-orientation, just checking in and, and seeing where it works. But I really love those, particularly where we can put it into a bit of a mantra or a catchy phrase that then said so that's a boundary. So what you've just described is going, actually, I now know myself Um And whilst I'm sure you could get a ton of stuff done, even tired and exhausted between eight and ten, that by setting that boundary, though, means that I am much more productive, I'm focused, um, and I'm kind of filled up from a family perspective because I've had that time and I've had that rest so that when it comes to work, you're probably switched on, ready to go. Um, so that's part of setting the boundaries, going, okay, what's what's most important right here and right now um, and how do we set that up? And, and that orientation is just checking in with yourself in that context. Um, and that's what I mean by that that kind of experiment mindset. You don't have to go too far where you Google on online and you find, you know, what do the famous people do before breakfast? Um, you know, the eight things that Richard Branson does <laughs> before he has his <laughs> Although I would be interested. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is really, really interesting. Um, and I think like, I think we should find that stuff out. But don't assume that just because if we do what Richard does, that, that will make us, um, you know, as entrepreneurial or that that's yeah. going to work in our world, in our life. Yeah. Um, so there, I, I'm the same. So there's plenty of people who go, oh, I try and do eight things before eight o'clock just to get my work day started. I've tried that and my day is terrible when I get up early and do work because I feel like come nine o'clock, I feel like I've done a full day and I'm shitty and cranky and <laughs> no one wants to be around. Drowning in coffee. Yeah, drowning in coffee. And yet if I get up and I move, if I go out for a walk, um, go and do something that's completely not work-related, then come home, have breakfast with the family and the kids, then my day is so much better. Um, So it's just part of then knowing that for myself. Um, And that's not every day. There are days that I'm on planes and days that I can't get up and go go for a walk because – you know, I've got to run to a conference or get to something. So whilst it might not be every day, um, for me, that's my reset is to go, okay, when I'm, I'm a bit jangly or busy or starting to feel a bit antsy again, that's my, um, the schedule that kicks back in. Mm, I love the the term jangly. It's, it's, it's just perfect for how you feel when you're, when you've managed to slip into habits that you know don't support you in going yeah. out there and being your best self in whatever scenario with your family, on stage, with a team, whatever you're doing, it is that sensation. I heard somebody else describe it as twangy. Like you, you start yeah. to feel almost like you're made of rubber bands that are getting yeah. stretched and stretched and stretched. Um, I want to I want to talk about boundaries just a little more, and then we're gonna we're gonna move on. I think an important part of boundaries in and you described it well, is that setting the boundaries is one thing, you know, and, but it's not the hardest job. The hardest job is defending the boundaries once you've, once you've set them. And so how do you, um, how do you reset boundaries with somebody? And then once you've, especially somebody that isn't used to it in your world, it could be, it could be a child, it could be a partner, it could be anybody. And do you just have to accept that some things and some people and some situations will 
naturally fall away, which is often the thing that we're most afraid of. Mm. Yeah, look, um, and I think that's part of this stuff's hard. It's not not easy Um, and it doesn't come with – and I think that's even when I was writing the book around standout and and unpacking what it's like to be in standout, um, even when we get – all those things that we hope for and and things are aligning, you know, stuff still happens and, you know, it's not ideal and it's not um, success. I think I use the term success has knobs on it and they can hurt at some of those knobs. Um, So I think when it comes to setting boundaries, you're right, setting the boundary is sometimes the easiest part. Um, Vocalising it and letting other people know um, is the next step. And then often when we set a boundary, it's almost like it gets tested. Um, the universe, something happens in the universe where where it kind of goes, are you sure? Are, is that exactly what you're going to do? Um, and I'm sure and I wonder, I guess, if that's happened for you, even with that eight to eight kind of boundary setting where there has been nights where, you know, come 8.30, there's an urgent phone call, quick meeting tomorrow that, oh, just get this done or I'll just uh, get this. Done. Last night. I can yeah. put my hand up and just say I failed epically, failed okay. epically last night and I was still wide awake at 10.30pm wondering why I was wired and couldn't sleep. Look, it's, um, it may not be an epic fail, it was just a speed bump and you come back <laughs> and you do it again tomorrow. Um, so I think that's the, you know, the thing with boundaries is, is they get tested um, and, and again, it's not beating ourselves up when that happens, but it's a it's a chance for us to go. Actually, is that still really important? That boundary, actually, it is, and I'm the person that needs to reset that again. It's the same if you set a boundary where um, you have your best friend and you say, "Look, um, I really want to catch up, but I need to, you know, um, I'm, I'm not going to be available, um, you know, between one and three in the afternoon because I, that just needs to be my kind of work time or I'm." You're going to be focusing on the family or whatever it is. Um, and then invariably a friend, you know, will will contact you and say, look, just this once, can we catch up at 2 o'clock on Thursday? Just this once, I just need you um, to. And for some people they'll go, actually, that's friendship's much more important to me. That's that's really fine. Um, and for others, what that, the cost of that might be that it's then impacting on, on your family or your work. Um, and so it is going, okay, well, um, no, I can't catch up at two o'clock. Like I said, I'm not available between one and three. I definitely want to catch up. I definitely want to be there for you and I'm going to be best there for you when we can do it in the times that I can completely focus. Um, so I think it is about restating boundaries. Um, it is about restating why they're important to you and also about, um, like I said, it doesn't have to be that you're dismissing someone, but, and I guess the, the kind of language that I've said to people is that I'm going to be the best for you when we do it here. Um, I'm going to be most available, most present for you and not thinking about what else is going on in my world. Um, if we can, you know, catch up at this time. So yeah, I guess, getting clear on that. One of the things, and I think why people push back on boundaries is in some ways it holds the mirror up to them as well in terms of, um, 
I think them having permission to go, oh gosh, it's okay to say no, or it's okay to, um, to not go along to that. So, um, I think one of the examples, and you, you know, the world of conferences and, and speaking often you, you go along as a speaker. Um, and I said right at the start that I'm an introvert. And so I love, um, I love the really intimate, you know, deep, important kind of conversations, but, um, you can often get, then get invited to hang around and come and have dinner with us at the conference. Um, and when I first started, I, I thought that that was what was expected. That's what I should do, that that's actually a requirement, um, of, of the role of, of the role of being a speaker at a conference. And, um, it wasn't until I heard someone else say, oh no, I never go along to the, the dinners. Like you, you what? You, <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> you can do that. Like, what do they say? Are you kicked out? Do you never get any work ever again? Like, what, how does this work? Um, they said, no, no, no. Like it's, I know for me, if I can have that time to myself, I can really focus on what I need to deliver come the conference. Um, and I go, I'm not staying up late and I'm not getting, yeah, not getting distracted. I just know for myself that that's what I need to do to do the job that I've been hired to do. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I think when we set boundaries, we give permission for other people to do the same. And when others push back on boundaries, it's often because of their own expectations on themselves. So mm. a person who goes, well, you can't do that, it's often because they themselves would never give themselves permission to go, actually, well, no, it's okay if I do. Um, and there might be the one conference or there might be the one situation where, you know, going along to the dinner is is okay or it's expected or it's not going to have as big impact on you or you've spoken that afternoon so you're not needing to kind of focus and it and if it fits in with flights and isn't impacting on family, then that might be okay. What's really what's really beautiful about the way that you frame that is it's it's always about yourself. You know, it's it's not about the which you know, it's easy to fall into that trap I think of of getting frustrated and resentful that somebody continually steps over and steps over and steps over and then you make it about them and their decisions and their motivation and their intention rather than again influence being your greatest influencer and stepping back and going okay this is about me this is about my intention this is about what I need and I understand that you're where you are right now and I need these things in order to be able to be there for you in the way that I want to yeah and continually bringing it back to you as the source of it, as opposed to making it, which is where we can step a little bit into the victim, which is making it about everybody else's decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and that doesn't serve anyone either because we, we end up saying yes, but we do it through gritted teeth. We feel, or we're not present. We're doing a half-assed job. (laughs) We're moaning that we don't even want to be doing this. I don't have time for this anyway. Mm. Um, and it's actually it's better for everyone <laughs> at the end of the day, even if they don't see it, um, if you set those boundaries really clearly. But how good is somebody's no? I had somebody say to me recently she had she was making the offer and she was saying, you know, I'm here anytime, send me a text, drop me a line. And I went into full British mode, which is, no, I would never do that. No, you know, I would, I would never bother you. I won't do it. And she looked at me and she said, I, trust me. I will never give to you from a disempowered state. Yeah, beautiful. And I just thought, how amazing is that? When you can trust somebody's no, you can also trust their yes. Yep. And it just means that you can have a really clean, solid relationship with somebody.
you wrote in your book that um, the person that has the greatest influence is the one that can breathe deep in a crisis. Mm. And we've all seen it with people that we love and people that we care about on our team or in our families when they've headed into those three quadrants that we talked about at the beginning, the flip out, either the flip out, the checkout or the burnout. And let's say that we've managed to kind of hold our boundaries. We've managed to rein everything in. We're clear, but there's somebody that we need to deal with that is moving between those three. How do we, how do we support them in that? How do we help move them through that into a more productive standout place? Yeah. Again, this is hard, particularly. Um, can we? I mean, can we do yeah, that at yeah. all? <laughs> and particularly if we've learnt that ourselves. Um, like sometimes, you know, we've been to a place where um, we know what it's like being in one of those four, and now we've seen the light, we've either read the book, we've been to the conference, we've watched the movie, like whatever it is. And we can almost evangelically get on a bit of a soapbox. <laughs> yeah. Start to be the ones that go, you should do this. Or you go into a you go into a meeting, so you're like, right, I've I'm centered, I have done my thing, I have my boundaries, I'm going into this meeting, I am gonna be the most Zen leader on the face of the planet. And you go into the meeting and you sit down and somebody comes in and they're either freaking out or they're you know, completely disengaged and you can feel yourself go, oh, hang on, yeah. I, I, I'm in this Zen space, come to the party. <laughs> Don't you know how hard I've worked? <laughs> yeah. So how do, I mean, how do we do that? How do we, are we only responsible for ourselves or is there a, a gentle way to be able to support somebody in coming along on this journey? Yeah, it's, um, oh, it's such a good good space because I think I think we can be the mirror and I think we can be the role model so um whilst it starts with us absolutely we influence each other all the time you walk into a meeting and what you've just described someone coming in flustered agitated you know bitching and moaning about something that's just happened before it affects everyone um and even as zen as you might be (laughs) you, you get a bit rattled by that and so I guess the way I see it is that we can also be the influence on the flip side of that. Um, so that, yeah, and I love that quote that, you know, the leader and the person who has the influence is the one that can breathe deep in a crisis. And it comes from a fellow called Michael Grinder who's based over in the US. And oh, he's an amazing probably, man. Yeah, incredible man. Probably the leading expert on nonverbal communication. And, um, and, I think it's it's that ability that when you see it is to start with compassion. Um, so often to start with, oh, I know what that feels like. I've been there too, um, and and it's okay. And um, and I think it's about just checking in with that. What do you need right now for that person? Um, rather than because often we want to go into solution fix it mode right um which is our natural tendency so what's going on how do we fix it for you how do we solve it because when you fix it then you'll then you'll move on um and there can be times where that's useful but i i actually think it's a much better question to stop and go what do you need right now and it might be as simple as, oh, I just need a glass of water or <laughs> I need to I need to just get this off my chest and then I'll be okay. Um, or actually, I just can't let it go. And it might be, okay, well, do you want to go for a quick walk around the block? Um, we won't get into the nuts and bolts in the meeting until you get back. Off you go. 
I think it's also recognizing what is what is some of the um, narrative that's going on in your head. I think sometimes the reason why we buy into drama um, is because we we take some ownership on it. We start to think, well, maybe I have an influence on this, or they're sighing and groaning because um, they didn't like the report that I sent them, and they haven't even mentioned anything about it. And all of a sudden, we're caught in a story that may have nothing to do with mm. what is huffing and puffing. Yeah, Brene Brown calls it conspiracy theories. We've, yeah, we've made up a conspiracy theory. That conspiracy, and I think that's what pulls us back out of Zen or pulls us back out of being really present, is um, that we make it about something that it really is not. So, so I think it is actually going, oh, what's coming up for me? <laughs> Let that go. Um and then how can I be that kind of role model for how I want other people to feel or experience? Um, but it does start with compassion, both for them um, and for yourself when you know what's coming up and just knowing that, that yeah, look, I can, I can empathise with someone in terms of them feeling stressed out, um, but that's actually not my world at the moment. My world's pretty good um, and that that's okay. The, the one common denominator in your, in your work, in your message and in choosing to stand out is that it will cost you your old identity. Mm. And, you know, I saw this come up again and again in your book and you talked about your own journey in, in stepping out. You had, you made a very conscious decision to step into the background in your business mm. when your children were young. And then you decided to come back out again and, and you, you faced some struggles with that and you put something up on your wall that said, do the work, be seen. And when did you start to feel things shift? Oh, that, um, yeah, I still have it up on my wall above my computer. And, um, that I vividly remember that morning. Um, yeah. And it was a shift, um, Shifting identity that came after the actions, if that made sense. So I had been out, I'd been running programs, I'd been delivering a lot more work in our business um, as the kids were getting older, but I still hadn't shifted in my mind. So I work with my husband, um, Darren. He's also, so I'm a psychologist, he's also a behavioural scientist, so plenty of people go, oh, what, wow. are you like what are you guys <laughs> to, talking to about? To be in a fly on the wall in your conversations. <laughs> oh God, I know, it's fun. Um, and then they go, oh, my God, you've got kids as well, so they're going to be completely screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or the sanest individuals that you could ever meet. <laughs> oh, no, look, yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we're keeping the industry going in some ways. But <laughs> um it's a lot of fun, but Darren had had very much, as you rightly said, very much been the front face of the business, and um, I was very much involved in the concepts and the clients, but very from a back end, um, you know, with a child on the hip, and um, you know, kind of doing the mum uh, balance and dance as well. And so, you know, it was a conscious choice for me to get out and do more delivery, but in my in my mind, my identity was that Darren was still very much the face of the business um, and and that that's, you know, who people probably wanted to see more um, rather than myself, um, that I was more that kind of back end. And, and one of the realisations, I remember running a couple of sessions with one organisation and their executive um, manager came up to me and said, oh, I really want you to come. We really need to do a strategy day with our executive team. Um, can we get you to come and do that? And my first reaction before I even 
really consciously thought about it was I'll have to check Darren's schedule. And Mm. it didn't hit me until probably about an hour later that these people had never met Darren. I was the only person that they'd ever worked with. They wanted to do more work and that was with me. And it just floored me. It kind of surprised me. Um, Which is crazy because you're such an uber qualified, talented woman who had, person who had been out there and done so many things with so many organizations. It's fascinating to me that you would be surprised at that. Yeah. And I think that what was behind that was my identity hadn't shifted. Um, So other people were seeing it. Uh, But for me, that wasn't who I saw myself as. Um, And so, again, I realized that I had to shift that identity. I had to start to talk about that, hey, maybe I I could be, um, you know, in in your words, like start to influence other people and and be a voice and be someone who was um, seen alongside Darren as an influencer rather than um, just a supporter for the work that that he was doing. Um, And then, yeah, again, and that was, that took time, but it came with that. It starts with that self-awareness, I think. Um, And then, you know, continuing to put yourself out there. Um, And then that quote, I remember I was doing some a women in leadership kind of program with an organization internally with their, their team. And I remember um, early one morning I'd been out for a run and then had the realization that, um, you know, I had my session planned for that day, but I hadn't got everything completely organized and I was going to see these people in an hour's time and just kind of whipped myself into a full panic. Who am I? Who do I think I am? You shouldn't even be doing this anyway. Like full, like within 60 seconds was (laughs) beating up on myself pretty harshly. And, uh, that's when I came back and I sat down at my desk and I went, you know what, what do these people need? They just need you. They just need a space to have a conversation. Um, and I wrote those those two phrases on the post-it note, um, do the work, just do what's required and be seen. Um, be seen as, as, as Alison, as the person who um, people really can talk to and not in an ego kind of way but really in a way that if I'm not seen then – we're not facilitating these kinds of conversations. We're not, um, they're not being had and people really need to have those conversations. And that can only come by me being seen by people. Um, so yeah, so it was a big, big realization to kind of get to that point, but every kind of piece on that journey, it's, it's continued to evolve and, and change. So even, you know, writing my own book, um, uh, putting putting my my photo up on a big poster in an airport, like all of that was insane. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, you, 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 once again, you set the intention, and it yeah, 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 and it came. And often, you know, when I talk to people about why they don't want to stand up in front of people, why they don't want to put themselves out there, why they don't want to write that article, why they don't want to show up for that conference, a lot of it is the fear of being seen and. Mm-hmm. If you ask them the question, you know, are you the most qualified person to have this conversation? You know, is there something that you know that they need to know that they have asked you to deliver? Do you know more about this than anybody else in that room? Because if you do, they need you like you need to show up 
to that and you need to show up imperfectly and you need to show up with the the humility to go you know there are some things I don't know but there's a lot that I do know and if you can show up to that then you can as you said do the work and be seen yeah and I think it's realizing that if we don't um the world misses out on our voice in that story um so again, I've, I've probably got a real passion and focus at the moment for women in leadership roles and um, I've just launched a program called Lead Boldly that that comes at it from very much a curiosity point of view. But a big part of that is actually um, the women in the program is actually giving them permission and um, that realisation that your voice needs to be heard. Now, your voice may not always be right. It may not always be picked up by other people. Um, we, You know, there might be times where we don't quite get it right, mm. um, but that's better than not having that voice heard at all because mm. uh, that's where we can get into conversation, we can get into robust um, checking in. But if if there's just silence, if there's, if that's not there, then then the story, the conversation, other people, as you said, they miss out on, on knowing that as well. So, um, it's, it's really selfless Mm. in a lot of ways. And I think that's part of why we hold ourselves back. And I know for me personally was that, um, and I think for women, we kind of get told that it's a bit big noting if we put ourselves out there, if we put ourselves on a pedestal, um, we just need to be the ones in the background. We do good work then others will notice and, um, you know, just be, be nice, but don't be too noisy. Don't be too bossy. Don't be too pushy. Um, and yet that comes at the detriment of us having the confidence just to be heard. And like I said, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be completely articulate. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be even right sometimes. Um, but let's just get and be part of the conversation. Mm. Um, and that comes with, yeah, being seen. Have you ever um, seen the, um, have you ever seen the Megan Washington TED Talk? No, I haven't. Oh, check it, check it out. And for anyone listening, check it out because that really brought home to me exactly what you're saying because she, mm. she breaks every rule in the speaking toolkit. Yep. Like everything that I thought from a perfectionist point of view made an amazing speech. She broke all of it. She gets on stage. She barely looks up. She's reading off her iPhone. She doesn't move. She never moves her hands. And yet it is the most compelling TED talk I have ever seen Mm. and it is because she shows up and you can tell what she's talking about the fact that she has a stutter and so she shows up with her stutter and just the courage of having shown up and owned it is so compelling and I think that for anybody feeling like you can't show up unless it's perfect go watch that talk and you'll just see how beautiful and engaging and captivating um, unperfection, if that's a word, is or can be. I've got a fascination at the moment with the word duende, which is a new word that I have discovered. Um, it's a Spanish word and it doesn't have a direct translation into English, but the closest that I can get to it's the moment when you show up. And it's used to describe a flamenco dancer. They're, they're said to have duende, that moment, I don't know if you've ever seen a flamenco dancer, but when they when they get on stage and they ground down and there's just that moment where they are so still and so focused and that's the moment where it's said that the duende, which is like a a spirit almost, enters the room and the Spanish will say, oh, the duende is here. 
you can see it, you can feel it. It's just arrived. And what they say about the jhanda is you cannot let it come into you unless something is prepared to die. And I I love that. I love the thought that you have to show up willing to let something die almost, willing to be that vulnerable in order for the, the power, for the standout to come in. And as you've said in your book, you know, that's, that's bloody scary. Mm. Yet you said, find what you love and let it kill you, which is very similar to that duende concept. Mm. But how do you, how do you know the difference? How do you, how do you know whether you're letting your work kill you in a burnout sense or you're letting your work kill you in that duende kind of a sense where you're just, you let it consume you, you let something die, you're willing to find what you love and literally let it kill you. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I love that that word as well. I'm going to use it completely. It's you can have it. I love gorgeous. it. More people talk about it, the better. So for me, I think when I think about the difference between um, – you know that that sense of burnout versus letting it letting it go um, to really ground you and give you energy. I think the difference um, when you're doing it from a place of of standout is a sense of relief. Um, there's a sense of groundedness. There's a sense of um, of knowing that that this is that this is right. Um, so, so even when we get clear on what we want to do and, and like we said before, like living a big, bold life, um, there will be things that will have an impact on. It will come at a cost. Um, and uh, I know, you know you were saying even off air before we started, um, you know, that balance between I want to build build things and influence people and, and have an impact on on people and yet there are some days where I just want to go to the park with my one-year-old absolutely I want to be I I want to be a librarian I want to go sit in the park that's right that's right um and so I think the and it's I don't think it's a mutual uh it is and it isn't when I say it's I don't think it's a mutual either or and yet there are days where absolutely you're making a decision between one or the other um because you can't be in two places at once and so I think it's about um, that where is it that I'm getting re-energised by this work, by these conversations, and is there space for the librarian to sit at the park as well? Um, and that when we're doing either, either of those options, that we're fully present to those. Um, I know for me... And around that time where I was describing that really sense of overwhelm and um, before I went to Byron, a big part of what was going through my head was um, I'm both a mother and a businesswoman and I'm doing both really craply, <laughs> like I'm not doing either well. Yeah. I have a sneaky um, suspicion that I might be shit at, at all of it. Yes, at all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids, I'm yelling at my kids. Um, I'm not really getting back to people because, um, and I, you know, I've definitely had conversations with clients on the phone. I've had kids walk in the door and walk in the background. But <laughs> <laughs> um, again, a lot of that really, the angst is the expectations. Um, plenty of our, our great clients know our kids. They know their names. They know their birthdays. They're just, and part of it is this is this is this is what you get um, with the work that we do. And, and I think that 
that adds to our our authenticity um, and people see us as as family people as well as business owners. Um, so in terms of, yeah, how do you know one or the other? Um, I think we can, and the truth is we can ex- get exhausted doing the thing that we love. Um, so it's not necessarily about um, – about the burnout only happens when we're when we're in the grind of something that we hate. Um, we can still get tired and exhausted doing the thing that we're passionate about that we really love as well. So for me, um, the best way, and even looking at um, that kind of quadrant model, burnout is really um, for me defined by when we're making a lot of progress, but we've lost sight of that purpose of why we've even started. We just get into the business of, of doing work. Um, and we've lost that connection to, to the bigger, to that purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. So I think it's having, and whether it's just having quotes around you or photos or little things that remind you of, of your intention, of your why, of what, what's important to you mm. and important to you today, knowing full well that we, and I do think that we live these portfolio lives, what you choose to be in six months' time might be completely different. There might be a librarian position for you, Julie, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But I think owning, and- well, owning all of it, you know, owning, I'm just thinking while you're talking, you 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 get to own all of it which again is this permission piece you get to own all of it you get to be a librarian if you want to go sit and make time go sit in a library for a little while get to get to experience the silence you get to be in a part you get to create a life with the boundaries and the content and the context that you want to create it in and and that will fuel you that fuels yeah. you. But I know for me, when I don't give myself permission, when I, when I get into that A or B mindset, that either or, either I am a businesswoman or I am a mother, either I am here for my team absolutely and completely, or, you know, I'm running away at the end of the day and drinking an entire bottle of wine. Yeah. 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 Again, that A or B, that tension for me is what exhausts me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's seeing, um, seeing all of it and reconnecting with um, like finding ways to to bring you back, and they don't have to be big ways. I was um, so one of the things off the back of the book, I wanted to kind of keep these conversations going. So I ended up launching my own podcast series called Standout Life, um, which is amazing, by the way. You've got some incredible guests on there, and I've loved them, and I've been fascinated to want to talk with influential people and go, well, how do you live boldly in a busy world? What are the strategies? And I guess what I've what I've heard is most people are feeling the same way that you and I feel, that the rest of us feel. They go through the same angst. They don't have a quick fix or a, um, a silver bullet either. But um, I was having a conversation with Katie Noonan, who's a phenomenal singer-songwriter. Uh, I am her biggest fan. She is amazing. Oh, she's just gorgeous and a beautiful, beautiful soul. Um, and one of the questions I asked her was because we were talking about just the magic of music and the connection of music and she particularly loves, um, you know, lyrics and writing um, songs and the way that you can express and have a conversation through music that you can't any other way. And I said, is there ever times where you just get into the grind of the business of it, where you just kind of are going through the motions? And she unequivocally said, oh, yes, like I lose touch of that magic, the connection with the audience because, you know, it's Friday, this is a gig, we've got to be there by 7 to set up for an 8 o'clock, mm. you know, just get into the grind of it. And that's, I think, the fast track to burnout. Um, 
when we can reconnect with, okay, getting there at seven to set up for eight is because we want to unlock the magic of music because we want to, you know, connect with our audience. Um, and she said, look, there, there are some times where she's been to gigs and she's been shattered and tired or something big's happened in her own personal life. Um, and she's just kind of shared that with the audience and said, hey, this is something that's going on for me and today, you know, I need this music as much as what you do. So let's go on this journey mm. together. And what a gift and that is to have somebody share that with you. Yeah, and I think we can, any of us can do that. Kind of go, you know what, today I'm really tired. I was up with the kids four times and I'm not here fully completely like I like to, but, you know, let's let's do this together the way that we can. Mm. So, yeah. Before we before we close with a final question for anybody who's interested in that quote that we were just talking about, find what you love and and let it kill you. I'm just I actually I loved it so much I googled it mm. and I, I found the full quotes. It's not long. It's it's by um, Henry Charles Bukowski, and it goes like this: It says, "My dear, find what you love and let it kill you. Let it drain from you your all. Let it cling onto your back and weigh you down into eventual nothingness." Let it kill you and let it devour your remains. For all things will kill you, both slowly and fastly, but it is much better to be killed by something you love. Mm. And I just think that that sums it up, you know? Yeah. Be, yeah. Killed, be killed by something you love. And let the rest go. Yeah. I think that's the final piece. <laughs> that kind of I would add to it is just let the rest go and it'll be okay. All right. As my, as my final question, um, the question that I usually ask is if I – if I could deliver to you with my magical powers, a stage and a microphone and in front of you is everybody you'd ever want to influence, what's the one thing that you would want them to know? This is such a good question. You did prime me beforehand and I went, oh, wow, that's a big question. I, know, I gave you all of three minutes to think about it yeah, before know, we started recording. But, but you know, the thing that um, came to mind and has come to mind for me, the message I would want to give people or a sentence is just to let people know um, that there's enough time. So go do it now. So there's, there's enough time. When we mm. pause and breathe, there really is enough time. And you can't wait any longer. I love that. There is enough time and start now. Yeah. Mm. Well, Alison Hill, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been gorgeous. Thanks, Julie. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found lots of useful insights and ideas for growing your influence. You can find out a little bit more about me and the work that I do by jumping on my website, juliemasters.com, or by following me.